This message was preached on May 23, 2021 at Faith Reformed Baptist Church in Titusville, Florida. Well, good morning and let's go to the Lord in prayer. One more time before we begin. Dear Father, we now come before you, Lord, and we ask you that you uh, open our eyes and uh, Give us light and understanding to uh, continue studying your word. Um, we pray, Lord, for the uh, doctrine of good works that we are going to continue this morning. We pray that you give understanding in Jesus' name. Our Lord, we pray. Amen. So the question for this morning is, what's the value of our good works before God? A short answer to that. This is what we are going to see. This morning is that our works don't have any value in and of themselves before God. And therefore, they can't have any merit before Him. <clears throat> However, they are declared good and they are rewarded by God thanks to the mediation of His Son. That's the, uh, the summary of what we are going to see this morning. Uh, we are on chapter 16 in the Confession of Faith. And um, after having seen the capacity or the ability to perform good works last week, um, this week then, uh, in paragraphs 5 and 6, we are going to see the value of good works. The value of good works. And we have, when we go there to the Confession, we find that paragraph 5 gives us the negative side. And then paragraph 6, there's a positive note. So, let's read then paragraph 5 in the Confession of Faith. It says, We cannot, by our best works, merit pardon of sin or eternal life at the hand of God by reason of the great disproportion that is between them and the glory to come and the infinite distance that is between us and God, whom by them we can neither profit nor satisfy for the debt of our former sins. But when we have done all we can, we have done but our duty, and we are unprofitable servants, and because as they are good, they proceed from His Spirit, and as they are wrought by us, they are defiled and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's punishment. So it's a very rich, very dense paragraph there. But basically, the authors of the confession, what they are telling us here is that there are four reasons, four reasons why our works cannot be meritorious before God. And when I say they cannot be meritorious, means they cannot make us deserving of uh, salvation, forgiveness of sin. <clears throat> they deal uh, very specifically with the reason why they cannot uh, make us, again, deserving of eternal life and forgiveness of sin. And uh, these are the, uh, the four reasons that they give us here. The four reasons are, number one, the great disproportion between works in themselves and the salvation that we receive. There is no proportion between one and the other. Number two, the uselessness of our works 
due to the distance between God and his creatures, and for the reason of that they are of no profit to him, nor can they satisfy the debt that we owe. Number three is that works come from the Holy Spirit, not from our corrupt nature. And then number four, that our works, even our best ones, are stained with imperfection and weakness. <clears throat> Those are the four reasons, and that's the reason why in our theology there is no such thing as meritorious works as, you know, in other uh, say, denominations in the Roman Catholic denomination, they have their doctrine of meritorious work. We don't have such thing. And those are the four reasons. And um, so let's go with the first one. The great disproportion between works in and of themselves, you know, by their value, and the salvation that we receive. There's a huge difference in value between our works and eternal life. And uh, basically what the authors are saying is that trying to obtain salvation by works is like trying to buy something really valuable with maybe just a few coins. Let's say that you uh, walk into a jewelry store or a museum and there's this big diamond, okay, and it's in a, in a big glass case and, you know, the glass is like this thick and there are all kinds of alarms and, you know, guards everywhere guarding this diamond and you walk in there and you say I'm gonna I want to buy this diamond and you well what do you have what do you offer and you see how jeans have this little pocket there and you have some coins there you know I say this is what I have this is it's the same idea trying to buy eternal life with our works right let's say somebody you know dedicates his whole life to go to Africa, you know, with mosquitoes and, you know, to help the people there. Maybe he's a physician or something like that. And, and he spends his whole life suffering, helping there. Well, that doesn't buy eternal life. That maybe, you know, if you go to the value, maybe that buys him 50 years without mosquitoes but not eternal life. There is no value. There's, there is no proportion. Okay, There is a great disproportion. Okay, It is similar. Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, uses this example in Romans 8. That is similar. It's similar. Uh, between, the disproportion between our sufferings in this life and the glory that is, that is to come. He says in Romans 8, 18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So our sufferings in this life, they seem great, a great deal, when we go through them right now. But they are not worthy to be compared with the glory that we will receive. And it is the same with good works, which, by the way, you know, are many times part of the sufferings in this life come from our good works. We cannot compare their value with the value of eternal glory, eternal life in the presence of God. Our works are worth pennies or maybe one thousand of a penny. You need one thousand good works to be worth one penny. But eternal life is that diamond that costs, you know, it's worth gazillions or to use the word that, that Russ uses, Brazilians of dollars. <clears throat> so even if salvation, 
let's say that salvation could be obtained by works. Let's assume, let's say that, okay? That's not what we believe. We believe that salvation is by grace, from the grace of God. It is a gift. No one will be justified by, wor uh, by works of the law and all that. But even if we assume, as many do, that salvation is by works, we have to admit that it is a real really good bargain uh, because there is no comparison between uh, the value of our works and the eternal life in the presence of God. So, yes, we know salvation is free, but that doesn't mean that it has no value. It is the other way around. It is so valuable that nobody can purchase it. Therefore, it has to be a gift. It has to be a gift. But our works don't have that value, enough value, not even remotely close to purchase salvation. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the uselessness of our works. The uselessness of our works due to the distance between God and his creatures. And for that reason, uh, they are of no profit to him. Our works are of no profit to God, nor can they satisfy the debt that we owe. So Jesus, in uh, Luke chapter 17, he reminds us of the uh, distance, this distance between God and his creatures. And he reminds us there of what is our position before him with regard to our works in the parable of the useless servants, which, by the way, the authors of the confession, they paraphrase it right here in the middle of the paragraph. They say, but when they have done all we can... When we have done all we can, we have done but our duty, and we are unprofitable servants. Okay, those words are taken right here from, from Luke 17, 7 to 10, which I'm going to read. This is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say to him by and by, when he is come from the field, go and sit down to meet, and will not rather say to him, make ready, with which I may eat and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And afterward, you shall eat and drink. That's what he does. Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? He's not saying here that, you know, people, uh, uh, employers should not be uh, thankful to their employees. He's just saying what happens in life. This is what usually happens in life. Does he thank that servant because he did the things which were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So God cannot owe anything to us. We never, we will never be in the uh, position where, where God actually owes something back to us. There's nothing of value in us that God wants or needs from us. Absolutely nothing. Why do you get in debt? Why? Well, because there's something of value that you want, that you need, that you don't have the money to pay for, and then you go, you know, you know Get some credit, get a loan to buy a house, to buy a, a car, to buy other things. Well, it's not like God is not missing something. He's not missing anything. He's complete. He's perfect. And if he, and let's say, if, if, if he is actually missing something, it's not like we have it to provide it for him. 
He is never going to be in a position of death. God doesn't need us, and certainly he doesn't need our works. In Job chapter uh, 41, verse 11, we read, this is God speaking, Who has first given to me that I should repay him? <coughs> Excuse me. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. See, he owes everything. He doesn't need anything from us. Romans 11.35 Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And the answer, of course, is nobody. We can't add anything to God because he is perfect. And he has no needs. We have needs. God doesn't have any need. And even if he had a need, we are not who to provide for him. In Psalm 50 verse 12 he says, If I were hungry I would not tell you. Right? I would not tell you because what can you do? Nothing. He says, For the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Then somebody may say, Well, what about the covenant of works? When Adam was under the covenant of works, uh, he had to that's what we said when we went through that chapter, chapter 7. He had to obtain eternal life by his obedience. How come? Well, it is true. But remember how the, the, the chapter about the covenant starts. And I'm going to read it in chapter uh, 7 in the Confession, paragraph 1. It says basically the same thing. The distance between God and the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience to him as their creator, yet they could never have attained the reward of life, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he has been pleased to express, to express by way of covenant. So it's not like Adam was purchasing salvation with obedience, <clears throat> by, or by the value of his works. But instead... It was that in his grace, God made a covenant with him. He made a covenant with him by which he offered graciously eternal life under certain conditions that Adam had to meet. But it's not like Adam could somehow purchase salvation by the value of his works. That's now, uh, this doesn't mean that uh, our works are com completely useless. No, that's not what we are saying. We are not saying that there is no profit whatsoever in them. No, they have some value, but for other men, horizontal value. Not vertical with God, but with other people. And they are even worthy of pay or uh, reward and remuneration. <clears throat> for example, in Luke chapter 10, verse 7, this is the Lord Jesus speaking, and he says... Uh, you know, instructing his apostles, and in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. Why? For the laborer is worthy of his hire. See, you're doing something, okay, it is perfectly right that you, you know, should expect that they feed you and they give you water and stuff like that. Uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 27, and this is uh, talking about a man named Apollos, and it says there, And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brothers wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was, who when he was come, helped them much with had, which had believed through grace. So you see, the work that he did 
that Apollos did was of great benefit, of great uh, value to the other believers. So yes, our works have uh, some value, but you know, in relationship to other human beings. <clears throat> but they don't contribute anything to God. Again, in Job chapter uh, 22, verses 2 to 3, it says there, Can a man be profitable to God, as he that is wise may be profitable to himself? Is it any pleasure to the Almighty that you are righteous, or is it, gain, is it a gain to him that you make your ways perfect? And the answer, of course, the implicit answer to all those questions is, of course, no, no. So that, that was the second reason, the distance between God and the creature. And then uh, the third reason why our works cannot be meritorious is that works come from the Holy Spirit, not from our corrupt nature. They are something that, as we saw last week, regeneration has to take place. And by regeneration, by the work of the Holy Spirit, then we are enabled to do those good works. It is the Holy Spirit that gives us the disposition and the ability and the capacity to do those good works. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, is joy, and peace, and long-suffering, and gentleness, and goodness, and faith. It is because the Holy Spirit is within us, working in us, that we can do those works that God has prepared beforehand. We should walk in them. So our good works come from the work of the Spirit in our lives. Therefore, they cannot be meritorious because ultimately they come from God. They come from Him. Good works are the fruit of having received eternal life. They are not the price to obtain it, but rather the fruit of having received the, the fruits and the evidence that we are new creatures, that we have eternal life, not the price that we uh, pay to obtain eternal life. In James chapter 2, verse 18, it says there, Yes, a man may say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I'll show you what? I show you my faith by my works. See, my works are the evidence that something has happened in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So that was the third reason why. Our works are not meritorious. Ultimately, ultimately, they come from God. Then, number four, our works, even our best ones, are stained with imperfection and weakness. So, this is due to what? To residual sin, residual thing. This is something that we saw in the chapter about sanctification, about sanctification. Uh, we said that upon regeneration, the bondage to sin is broken. Okay, There is a radical change when a person uh, comes to the Lord and believes and, and that person is regenerated by the 
power of the Holy Spirit, that bondage to sin, those chains to sin are broken. But that doesn't mean that we become perfect. We do not become perfect. We continue to sin. We are not slaves to sin anymore, but in everything that we do, there is that stain of sin. This sanctification, this is what the confession says, is imperfect in this life and there are still remnants of corruption in every part of our being. And that is the reason why there is a constant battle between the flesh and the spirit because our sanctification in this life is never perfect. Therefore, our works cannot be meritorious because they are not perfect and pure. They say, uh, it says in the uh, confession, as they are wrought by us, they are defiled works and mixed with so much weakness and imperfection that they cannot endure the severity of God's punishment. So that was um, paragraph number five. And if we stop there, then everything has this negative connotation. But now there's a positive side that we find in the next paragraph, paragraph 6. It says there, Yet, notwithstanding the persons of believers being accepted through Christ, their good works also are accepted in Him. Not as though they were in this life wholly unblameable and unreprovable in God's sight, but that He, looking upon them, in his Son is pleased to accept and reward that which is sincere, although accompanied with many weaknesses and imperfections. So that's the positive side to all that. They say our works are, number one, accepted, and number two, rewarded. Accepted and rewarded. How are, are our works accepted? They say, well, on the same basis by which our being is accepted. How are we accepted before God? Uh, our person, how, uh, how are they accepted before God? Well, by the mediation of Jesus Christ, by grace. There is no other ways, no other way. So our works are accepted on the same basis in Christ, through Christ. Why was the offering of Abel accepted? Well, Hebrews 11 says, because he had faith. Because he had faith. And there is a really interesting figure uh, or symbol in the Old Testament regarding Aaron. Aaron in the, uh, the sacrifices or the offerings of the people. And it says there that the offerings of the people were accepted because in a certain way, Aaron, like he bore the guilt of all of them. And it says in Exodus 28, verses 36 to 38, it says, You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a, a signet, or signet. How do you say that? S-I-G-N-E-T? Huh? Signet. Holy, holy to the Lord, or holiness to the Lord. And you shall fasten, fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. And it shall be on the front of the turban, and it shall be on Aaron's forehead. Forehead, And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy thing that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gift. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. So here we have this picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ 
did on the cross. Why were the offerings of the people in the Old Testament accepted? Well, because Aaron had, symbolically, he had to bear the guilt of them. So what Aaron did as a symbol, Jesus did it in reality. He and he as our high priest in heaven, right now, by his mediation, by him, the it, it, by that reason, our works are accepted before God. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says there, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They are acceptable to God, yes, but by Jesus Christ. Not by the value of the, themselves, but by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Our persons are imperfect. Our works are imperfect. Our prayers are imperfect. But they are all accepted in Jesus Christ. Like somebody said, even the tears of our repentance have to be washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> but our works are not only accepted by God in Jesus, but the confession also say that they are rewarded. Rewarded. There's a reward. <clears throat> And these rewards should not be seen as a retribution according to merit. Again, we already established that there, there is no merit in our works. But as a favor according to grace. A favor according to grace. In Romans 8.32 it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will not also with him graciously Give us all things. See, he says, if God gave his son, he will give us all things. But how? Graciously. Graciously. By grace. So not only our justification is by grace, but everything that comes with it is by grace also. <clears throat> and, of course, that doesn't mean that there is no relationship whatsoever between our work and labor and the reward of course, there is a relationship. The Apostle Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says in verse 8, <clears throat> He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So God in his grace has accorded this relationship between our work in Jesus Christ and the reward or the recompense uh, uh, that we will receive in heaven the, uh, the, the uh, yes, the rewards. So rewards are given by grace, but there is a relationship between our labor and the reward that we will receive. <clears throat> and I know that this doctrine is, some people don't believe in rewards, but, you know, they are mentioned here, they are mentioned in the Bible. But the primary cause is not human responsibility. It is always the grace of of God. For example, let me read, and I'm closing with this, uh, three passages. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, it says there, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, <coughs> excuse me, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And then he says in verse uh, 16, 
holding fast to the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, he says, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So he's expecting something for his work in the gospel. But then <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. So he says, yes, I worked harder. But in the end, it was the grace of God that was in me. Now, what about non-believers? Can they do good works acceptable to God? Well, that's the subject of next week. So I'm going to leave you with that cliffhanger. So come back. <laughs> uh, so are there any questions or comments? <clears throat> no, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, wonderful doctrine. We appreciate your grace so much more now. And we, we thank you. We pray now that you help us to uh, prepare our hearts for our worship service. That is going to be in a few minutes. And we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.